Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I, I firmly believe one of my chief guiding principles is that we all have our own best paths to get to where we want to go. And that the best path for us is not the best path for somebody else. And that when we are intentional about making bold choices about the directions that we're going to go, the opportunities that we're going to take, the, um, yeah, the, just the direction that we're going to pursue, we end up becoming more effective and compelling. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Tara, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Srini. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you actually back here for uh, the third time. You're one of only a handful of guests that have uh, made a three-time appearance on the show because we had you back when the show was called Blogcast FM. But you know, I wanted to bring you back this time because uh, your work has evolved so much uh, since we last had you here. And I want to do a, a much deeper dive into all of the work that you've done. Uh, you know, I've always found so many of the things that you talk about to be so insightful and thought-provoking, so I figured you know, bring you back and have a, a deeper conversation about it. So on that note, can you tell uh, us a bit about yourself, your background, your story, your journey, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to for people in our audience who may not know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a business strategist that works with uh, idea-driven businesses. So really smart people who have really smart ideas and don't have a really great understanding of how they can turn those into things that people want to buy and systems that kind of give them peace of mind and ease and freedom and, of course, wealth. And I help them do all of that. And so it's a mixture of marketing and business model development and product development and sales and team building and all of that good stuff. But my chief <laughs> kind of my, my my chief goal in my business and in my life is basically just helping more smart ideas get out into the world and uh and and have those smart ideas support the people who are creating them and working with them and and thinking about them so that's the that's the work that I do the journey that I've been on to get here has been kind of a very long and windy one um, I started as a kind of pseudo intellectual or wannabe intellectual <laughs> um, in college uh, studying religious studies and uh, thought that I would go on get my master's degree get my PhD and become a professor and 
that didn't work out <laughs> in that I got bit by the conventional life bug and quit grad school before it even started, uh, even though I had gotten into the school that I wanted to get into and had a full ride and all of this good stuff. Things were really looking up and I just smashed that dream <laughs> uh, very uh, kind of unceremoniously uh, and took a full-time job at a Borders Books and Music, worked there for five years, started learning uh, about sales and marketing and how to manage people and all of that good stuff. Um, and that got old fast. And when I finally quit that five years after I started, um, it was after I had been denied a promotion that I had been told I was a shoe-in for. And that led me to getting really angry about the direction of my life. And I decided to kind of sit down and think about, you know, what are the skills that I have? What are the things that I think I'm so great at? And how could they be valuable to other people and other organizations? And with that line of thinking, I eventually discovered the digital entrepreneurship community and all of the amazing resources that were there and all of you know, these, these amazing people who were blogging and writing and thinking and podcasting and doing, you know, all of these different, all of these different things and and making money at them. So I kind of dipped my toes into those waters, started my first website, bought another website and really kind of evolved into where I am now uh, with serving clients who are largely service-based businesses, like I said, very idea-driven, um, and helping them make as much money as possible doing those things. Hmm. So uh, a lot of stuff here to to do a, a, a dive into. But you know what I want to do this time that we didn't get to do the last few conversations is look back even before uh, the journey starts, what I always call the journey before the journey, like childhood, growing up, mentors, mm-hmm. influences. You know, the things that you think looking back at your life uh, were, you know, significant inflection points that would ultimately lead you down this path? (sighs) Yeah. So I think, first of all, I mean, the biggest influence on my life in the pre-journey phase um, was certainly my mom and the really the creative business that she had. My mom um, supported my brother and I as a seamstress for 20 years, um, never made a lot of money at it. It's kind of hard to make a lot of money at that. (laughs) But she was very self-directed, very independent. Uh, She knew how to get stuff done. She knew how to go out and find customers. She knew how to work a referral network. Uh, She knew how to set boundaries. She knew when it was important for her to be getting work done and when it was more important to be paying attention to us. She also knew how to blend those things together, which I still find very inspirational. Um, And she taught me, I mean, she didn't teach me anything specific about business. I think it was all kind of learning through osmosis. Um, But she taught me a lot with that. Um, Also, she taught me a lot about money early on, which is something that I've talked about and a lot and enjoy talking about. Um, I grew up feeling with kind of with a very abundant uh, sense of, of life. Um, we never heard, or we, I wouldn't say never, but we rarely heard the word no when it came to money, even though we didn't have much of it. And that was because she was so good at getting us focused on what the priorities were. For me, the priorities were sports and music. 
So I could go to sports camps. I could go to music camps. I could get new instruments. I could buy sheet music. I could take trombone lessons. I could do all these different things as long as it was in line with the priorities that I had. Um, and then those priorities ended up, you know, putting me through college and, uh, you know, kind of molding me into the person that I've become. Um, but having a real priority driven focus on money allowed me to to have a very, what I felt was a very abundant lifestyle as, as a young person. And it was only later in life that I learned how to live paycheck to paycheck <laughs> and really messed some of those things up um, until I got, uh, until I had more money and kind of rediscovered um, priority driven decision making when it comes to money. So my mom has just been an absolutely huge influence, and I'm sure that she will be listening to this. So hi, mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then, you know, for me, it's just I think my other biggest influences have all been teachers in one way or another, whether it was my trombone teacher, Mr. Erdman, or my, uh, you know, favorite religion professors or, uh, you know, whether it was my, even my, my trombone instructor in, in high school, my private instructor, those people have all shown me what it's like to live a life that is, again, kind of really priority driven, like knowing what it is that you want and focusing on that unequivocally and making the decisions and doing the things that you need to do to make that become a reality even if that means you're not doing some other things that would seem normal or <laughs> adult or you know whatever it might be it's it's this it's the that focus i think that those people taught me uh that has really shaped me into the professional that i've become and to the and and it helped me reach the success that i've reached and and focus is something that i talk a lot about now with my clients as well is that you know it's so tempting to follow every single shiny object it's so tempting to follow every idea um, but it's focus that allows us to make forward progress very, very quickly. And so that's something that I've kind of learned over the course of not just the, my entrepreneurial journey, but my whole personal journey and something that I still absolutely live day in and day out as well. You know, I'm really glad you brought up the money conversation. And it's one that I've been having a lot with a lot of people. And I, I love the way that you phrased it uh, because you talk about it being sort of priority driven. What's really interesting to me is you have this rather odd contrast of, you know, mentioning that your mother didn't necessarily make a lot of money as a seamstress, but somehow you've been raised with this abundance mentality. And uh, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, when you work with clients, where do you see people uh, blocked with this whole internal narrative around money? And, and, you know, and more importantly, how do you get them out of it? Yeah, where don't I see them blocked <laughs> might be a better question. Yeah. Um, so there's so many things. So we we spoke recently um, on the, the podcast that I'm doing with Creative Live about the myth of solo entrepreneurship. Yeah. And this is one of the places that I think people get really, really blocked up. And it's because we, we learn this in our jobs. We learn, um, you know, kind of that the money that we bring in is our income somehow. Like the solo entrepreneurship world um, equates revenue with income. Uh, it, you, you see it in people's marketing. You see it in um, the way they talk about how much money they make. You know, so many people who say, yeah, I, I made six figures. Like, okay, well, you brought in six figures. How much of that did you keep? Mm. Um, and so there's, there's this really, really destructive money block around 
um, not recognizing yourself as a business owner that has expenses that has and has an income that's separate from revenue. And so people get really tight when it comes to spending money on their businesses. And I don't just mean on like, you know, the kinds of training or consulting that I sell that like, forget that I'm talking about like the platforms that they run their businesses on the people that they hire, the choices that they make about what opportunities they're going to, they're going to pursue. If something costs money, largely they'll, you know, they'll really shy away from it instead of thinking about, okay, how much money would I have to spend to make even more money on the back end? Or, you know, what could I invest to bring in way more revenue uh, with this opportunity? I don't see people thinking like that. And I think that it's a huge detriment to the, to the growth and success of their businesses. Another really pervasive um, myth and block when it comes to money and, and specifically in terms of price is this, uh, this theme that we have been fed, which is, um, you know, pricing your service or pricing your work for what you're worth, um, I hate that. <laughs> you are priceless, right? We know this. Um, you can't put a dollar value on what I'm worth, on what you're worth, on what the listeners are worth. We can't do that. Instead, you can put a dollar value on what your work is worth. And this kind of this ties back into that solo entrepreneurship problem too. You are not your work. You are not your business. As much as we might, um, you know, use those things interchangeably, they're not the same thing. So. So we really need to be uh, smart about creating uh, detachment and separation from the work that we do and who we are so that we can more objectively price our work, ask for the sale, you know, all of those kind of things. Um, and then I think probably the, the last money block is around the way other people value things. Um, we make a lot of assumptions when it comes to what people will pay for something. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons for this. One of them is that we don't do enough market research, um, where we tend to be very confirmation bias when it comes to doing market, market research. Uh, so we look for things that are the same price as what we think we should price what we're offering. Uh, and that creates a lot of misunderstanding about what's actually going on in the market. Uh, we don't look at the extreme low end and ask how businesses are making that work. We don't ask what the extreme high end looks like and what goes what in what goes into charging you know that amount of money for very similar work to what you're doing. Uh, and so we get really pigeonholed into a particular price category uh, and. I see all the time how that turns into a business that just isn't built to work. So that's a huge problem. Um, we also make assumptions about what other people will find valuable about our work, especially the people that I work with who are very, very focused on their ideas. They believe that the idea is the thing that's valuable, but the thing that's valuable is actually what other people will do with it. What can you accomplish with that idea? What, uh, what problem does that idea solve? What frustration does that idea ease? That change, the problem solved, the frustration eased, the thing accomplished, 
accomplished is what's valuable, not the idea itself. And so if you think about what that change is, and then you ask yourself to quantify that change, it's, again, much easier to put a price tag on it. And it's a lot easier to market and sell it and evolve the product that you're selling or the idea that you're selling so that you can get more money for it or that you can sell more of the thing. Um, and so that that's a big money block for people as well. It's just not really understanding where the value of what they're offering actually comes from. Where do you think all of this comes from, like all these blocks? Do you think they're inherited by the byproduct of our environment and our upbringing? Um, man, I think they're coming from everywhere. <laughs> I think we learn a lot of them in our jobs um, because we're, you know, in our previous life um, as a as a corporate employee, a retail employee, whatever type of employee you may or may not have been before you started your your business. Um, I think we learn a lot. Uh, in that environment where people tell us how much we're worth. And, you know, you get a 3% raise every year if you're lucky. Um, They tell you... you know, they tell you what how valuable you are compared to other people. They tell you how valuable the the product is that you're creating, or the you know the thing that you're contributing. I think a lot of it comes from that. Um, I think a, a lot of our blocks around spending money as well also come from sort of that paycheck mentality, where instead of figuring out how much money you can make, you're sort of forced to to debit expenses against the amount of money you will make. Uh, and that's a huge shift when people can make that and go from that employment money mindset to an entrepreneurial money mindset. And kind of to go back to that lesson that I learned from my mom, I think that's why um, my lifestyle was so seemingly <laughs> or felt that way abundant uh, then was because she didn't worry about how much money she had in her bank account. She worried about what the what were the things that I wanted to do or that my brother wanted to do. And then she would figure out how we were going to pay for that. So it was never a matter of can we afford it? It was a, where can we find the money? How, you know, how many extra hours do you have to work? How many extra customers do you have to bring in? How many extra hems do you have to do to make ends meet on that particular priority? That's a real entrepreneurial money mindset, and it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, you can make that switch just by prioritizing um, what you want over what you have. Hmm. Um, I do think most of us learn a lot of these money lessons as children, too, <laughs> you know, and because I, yeah, I had certainly had a lot of friends who had their parents had way bigger salaries than my mom had, um, who were constantly being told, no, we can't afford that all the time. I see it even with uh, my own child as well. You know, uh, she lives with her dad. Um, but when she's with me, I hear, um, can we afford this a lot? Can we afford this? And it's like, well, that's not that's not the question that we ask here. <laughs> we don't ask that. It's what do you want and what does it take to get it? And um, and so, yeah, so I think those those lessons are learned very, very early on. Same thing, though. Like I've, It's not like I haven't taught her very serious money lessons already or trying to anyway. It's hard to teach a seven-year-old <laughs> money lessons that don't involve getting new shiny plastic toys. Um, but, you know, that that is, you know, I'm constantly thinking about that. And I think that whether you're thinking about it or not, we're passing those lessons on to our children, just as those lessons were passed on to us. Hmm. Wow, that was amazing. Um, One of the uh, questions that I have for you, um, 
hold on. I actually lost my train of thought. And this has happened twice in the last few weeks. Oh, no. Some days I feel like I'm showing early signs of Alzheimer's. Uh, okay. I know what it was. You know, you mentioned teachers and, uh, you know, professors and all sorts of other people in your life. Do you think that you recognize what you were getting when you knew those people in your life? Or do you only recognize them as mentors and influencers in retrospect? I, uh, I think that I only recognize them as mentors in, uh, I would say that I recognize them as mentors then. I just didn't know what they were giving me mm-hmm. then. Um, you know, my trombone teachers, I thought they were teaching me how to play trombone. My religious religion professors, I thought they were, you know, teaching me postmodern theology and, you know, the history of Christianity and things like that. Now, um, I can draw the parallels and the lessons, uh, and tease out, you know, the big themes that they, that they somehow transferred to me. Um, probably some, somewhat probably intentionally and somewhat probably unintentionally. Um, and I think that probably part of that is because I am now in a position where I mentor people and where I need to share lessons and where I need to teach them things without teaching them things, you know, because I know that some of my ideas are much more marketable and palatable uh, than other of my ideas, but I want to give them everything. And so I try and work those lessons into the things that are more marketable and palatable so that they can walk away from um, the work that we do, not just learning how to do, you know, not just learning how to build a product that sells or not just learning how to create a launch campaign that, uh, you know, puts a lot of money in their pocket, but that they also learn some of those, those big bigger lessons that have helped me become as successful as I am now and that will make me more successful later on. Um, so yeah, so I think probably I can, I can only really start to measure how much of an influence and the ways that they influenced me because of the work that I do now and the ways that I relate to people now as well. So if we were to look back at our own lives Um, is there a way we could figure out, you know, what the greater lessons and themes were in our own mentors and and the people who've influenced and shaped us? Well, I think that probably starts by asking yourself what makes you work now. Um, you know, in, in quiet power strategy, I talk about building a business based on what makes you most effective and compelling. And I think those two things are really interesting questions that we very often don't ask ourselves. What makes you, Srini, most effective? What makes you most compelling? If you know the answers to those things, um, you can really tease out why you've been successful at certain things and why other things have fallen flat. Um, And it helps you make more of the choices. It helps you make better choices about what you're going to pursue in the future and what you're going to ignore. Um, And I also think that the reasons that, you know, we're effective at those things or that those things make us compelling are probably also tied to the things that our mentors and influencers have taught us, whether it was a personal lesson or whether it was kind of like a, a world or life lesson. Um, I, I think that those themes are kind of universal, at least they have been for me. And I can really only speak for myself in the, in this particular case. Um, but I, those themes have really, really been universal to me throughout my life. Um, and it's only now that I'm starting to draw a lot of attention to it that I can 
discover those those themes and the questions and the and the ideas that have allowed me to take the biggest leaps ahead. Does that answer your question? It does actually, and it raises okay. more questions. Uh, oh, good. Which is which is always how it goes when I ask questions like this. You know, you brought up the, the ideas of compelling and effective, and it kind of takes me to a question that uh, I've asked a lot of people in one form or another. Uh, and I'd asked this to probably three people on the show recently. Venture, the venture capitalist Chris Saka actually had talked about this when he, you know, did an interview with Tim Ferriss, and he also has talked about it. I think in a product hunt chat, but he talks about this idea of the inevitability of success, and it's something that he sees in every founder that he invests in. Uh, mm-hmm. That when he talks to them, they don't speak in conditional statements. And to me, that's so tied to what you talk about in terms of being compelling and effective. I'm just curious if you think that the inevitability of success is something that you spot in certain people instantly and you see it, or do you think it's something that can be developed and cultivated? I think I would lean towards as something that can be developed and cultivated. I have a nasty little habit of seeing the inevitable success of everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And sometimes, uh, and honestly, sometimes that is a really nasty little habit because I will, I, I see them 10 steps ahead of where they're at. And I almost, I think sometimes I kind of glaze over like the lessons that they need to learn or like the steps that they need to take because I already see them like, oh yeah, yeah, you're, so you'll be in Oprah Magazine next month, right? Because like, duh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and I think that that can be kind of, yeah, I think that can kind of lead me down some some paths that aren't necessarily good for all of us involved. Um, but yeah, I, I I, I I like this idea of inevitable success and I absolutely understand what he means and why that's important to him and, and how it's even very, very true. Um, but I also think that there is a level of self-awareness that you can cultivate where you can kind of pull out the pieces of you, the way you communicate, the way you develop ideas, the way you share things with the world that give people that sense of inevitable success. Um, and right now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, one of my mentors, Sally Hogshead, one of my now mentors, Sally Hogshead and uh, her fascination advantage system. And that's, I think one of the things that she does so well is helping people see or helping brands see the key to their inevitable success, the things that you can work on that give people that level of fascination or that level of attractiveness or that level of just, yes, absolutely, I believe in you and I believe in what you're saying. She's so good at pulling that out of people. Um, and, and for me, that system has been has been life-changing and brand changing. And I think it's helped me um, kind of lean into those things that would give people that sense of inevitable success with me as well. Um, so that's a little bit of a non-answer to your question, but also <laughs> like I, I, I really, I, I believe absolutely in uh, what Saka said. And I also think that it, it's not like it's, it's not a gift. It's something that some people stumble on, uh-huh. uh, often through no fault of their own. <laughs> um, but it's absolutely something that can be cultivated with people if you know, if if you're mindful of the things that make people 
really get you, make them really feel comfortable with you, make them really believe in you. You can bring that, you can tease that out and bring that to the forefront of your, of your brand, whether you're an employee or a business owner or, you know, a CEO, you can bring those things out so that other people, so that there's no question of other people believing in you Mm -hmm. and helping you create that inevitable success. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. You know, it's interesting to hear you say this because I don't know if you remember, we hired you back in the Blogcast FM days to do some consulting work with us. And it's, you know, to me, when when I hear you talk about that, my instant instinct is to think there are people who are going to be like, all right, cool. How does it happen right now? And I realize, you know, after having that conversation that we had with you and the hundreds that I've had, this entire thing is an evolutionary process. It doesn't happen in one conversation or, you know, one coaching session or, you know, meditating and chanting mantras for one day. Uh, and I, I'm just curious to, to hear what you have to say about the, you know, my thoughts on this being more of an evolutionary process than sort of a question and answer process. 
Yeah, I think people quit way too soon um, because they, you know, they they don't get that um, immediate hit of success, or they don't uh, they aren't able to see an immediate change when they start down this path, and it can get really frustrating when other people do are you know they seem to be born with that certain, you know, je ne sais quoi that allows them to somehow, you know, sprint to the top of the iTunes listings or get their blog featured on some amazing website, you know, two weeks after they launch it, or, you know, some brand new startups product is, you know, funded 1000% on Kickstarter, whatever it might be. Um, I think the key things to keep in mind there is that those those people that have that uh, that get catapulted to success, they actually have a harder job than the rest of us do on that long slow burn. <laughs> because once you get that taste for extreme success, it is really hard to step back and and do the long slow burn because we all have to do it. We all have to figure things out. And when you when you get that taste of success early on, um, you don't wanna you don't want to figure things out. You don't want to do things the hard way. You don't want to be persistent. You just want it handed to you. Um, and I oh man, I feel so bad for those people. Um, and also, those things tend to happen for reasons that we can't control. And I'm a control freak. I want to control my own success. And if that means I have to evolve slower and uh, wait and see what sticks or try and figure out how I can anticipate what's going to stick, um, then that means I'm going to be more in control of my own success. And I think that's that's really, really really exciting. Um, but yeah, I just, I see so many people quit so early, uh, instead of figuring out ways to evolve or figuring out what their next steps are, they get frustrated and they quit. And I just, there, I don't think there's an easy path. And for the people who seem to be on an easy path, they're going to regret that later. And I I don't mean that to sound like a threat. It's not a threat. Um, I think that's just what happens. You, you regret it. Um, I, I actually started watching and I I didn't finish watching it, but it reminds me of this. I started watching a, a, a talk from Deuce this morning, Heather Armstrong. And like, there's an example of someone who had extreme success very early on with something that just didn't even exist when she started it, a mommy blog. Um, And now she's, you know, in semi-retirement from that because it just completely got away from her. She's not in control of it anymore. And she wants to take back control of her own uh, business, her own family and her own success. And she's getting a lot of flack for that. And people are misunderstanding what she's saying in the media and misconstruing her message uh, to other mommy bloggers. Um, And I feel so bad for her, but it's like, man, if you would have had to figure this out step by step by step, instead of just, you know, being a a crazy success right away, it probably, this probably wouldn't suck so bad for you. Um, So yeah. (laughs) I hope that answered your question. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think it's it's really interesting. I think that you appreciate any success that you've had to earn and work for so much more than, you know, anything that's handed to you. On a yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, 
we're often handed the things that we've worked really, really hard for. Um, so, you know, whether it's, you know, Chris Gillibo and his 279 days to overnight success. I mean, though, even 279 days to me now sounds like an insanely short period yeah. of time. At the <laughs> time, it sounded really good. And now I'm, you know, seven years into this and I'm like, I don't know, Chris, I think you're actually at it for a lot longer <laughs> than that. Oh, yeah. Um, and he was, and of course, and he would admit that as well. Um, it was just that particular project, but anyhow, you know, I think, um, now I lost my train of thought, but, um, uh, yeah, anyhow, I'll leave it right there. No, I mean, I, I think, it, you know, it's interesting as you start to tear, you know, some of these big successful online projects, uh, apart, you start to see, wait a minute, this is taking a lot longer than it might appear to have taken. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to ask you one other question uh, about grad school and quitting, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the decision to drop out. That is, it, me to me, very much a moment of creative daring. And I'm wondering what it is that enables people to make decisions like that in moments like that. Like, what do you have to have internally to do that? And why do so many people chicken out? <sighs> So I would say quitting grad school was actually not a moment of creative daring. It was a moment of deep, deep, deep depression and um, hopelessness. And it was, it still makes me really emotional thinking about it now and what I gave up on. On the flip side of that, though, I think quitting Borders was absolutely a moment of creative daring, um, and it was spurned by um, a need to take agency over my own life again. I was so sick of being at the whim of other people and not being appreciated for all of my gifts. Um, and I think it's taken a long time to get to a place where I do have complete agency and, uh, where I am uh, to this point, at least as, as fully recognized for my gifts as, as I have been in my life. Um, so that moment I got so angry and I think that the things that make us angry have great, great creative potential. So what happened was I, my my general manager left and basically the whole time I had been the sales manager for the store, I was being groomed to take over this job um, when my general manager eventually moved on. And I had basically been assured this job is yours to lose um, all of this good stuff. I had been basically doing the job for the, you know, three or four months prior to actually interviewing for it. And uh, the only other twist in this story was that I was pregnant and I did my uh, interview for that job nine months pregnant, like literally two weeks or so before I went into the delivery room. Um, And when I got the phone call that not only had I not been given a second interview for the job, but that that the job had already been given to somebody else. I was so furious that my agency in that situation had been taken away from me. It wasn't how good I did in the interview. It wasn't my years of experience. It wasn't all the results that I had created from that st- for that store that mattered in that moment. It was that 
someone else decided that, you know, maybe giving the job to a pregnant woman wasn't a great idea or that some, you know, because, and I can say that because, well, one, they're not in business anymore and I can't get sued for that. <laughs> and two, um, they gave the job to someone with less experience, not only with the company, but in management than me. Um, so I know why I didn't get the job. I was so, so, so angry. I actually gave myself like 24 hours to just sit with that fury that I felt. And then I woke up the next day and that's when I started, you know, connecting the dots and saying, okay, what are the skills that I have to offer? What am I really good at? What do I want to be doing on a daily basis? And who might be interested in those things? Who could benefit from those things? And how can I start connecting those dots? Um, now I would say that's the great, that would be a great start to any marketing plan. Um, then I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was kind of that moment of creative inspiration, like you said, that kind of put me on a path that I that I really needed to be on and put me back in a headspace that I could that I could make decisions for myself uh, from. And that that was chiefly important. Hmm. So from the time of borders, uh, what did you learn about people and human behavior and psychology that you've brought into the work that you do today? Oh, great question. Um, one of the things things that I've learned is how important actually putting something in someone's hands is. <laughs> and that might sound really silly, but let me explain. Um, one of the things that we taught at Borders was hand selling, which is, you know, a customer comes up to you, they're looking for something specific, or they're just looking for a recommendation. You talk to them, you learn more about what it is that they're looking for. Then you walk them over to the section where that book is, and you don't leave them there. You find the book and you put it in their hand. And when you put the book in their hand, it is nearly impossible for them <laughs> to walk out of that store without that book. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing <laughs> because not only is it a great sales technique, but you also feel in the process of doing that, like you're building a relationship and serving someone because you are. It's, it doesn't just feel that way. Like that's what's happening in that moment. And so I've used that technique in my business to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> um, I don't walk anyone to bookshelves anymore, but I do talk to individual people. I find out what's going on for them, what frustrations they have, what goals they have, what questions they're asking. And I develop things specific with those specific people in mind. And then I email them individually not, I'm not talking about popping something into my MailChimp, um, but I talked, uh, email them individually and say, hey, I was really thinking about that conversation that we had or the years of conversations that we've had, and I really want to help solve this for you. This is what I made. Here's how much it costs. Is this something that you would be interested in? And that technique, I, I call that technique now the living room strategy, but it absolutely comes out of hand selling at borders. It's the, you know really thinking about what is it specifically that this person wants? How can I make their day with what they're going to buy from me? 
and then actually bringing it to them and saying, hey, I thought of you. I want to give this to you. All you have to do is give me X amount of money in return. It's extremely difficult for people to say no to that, not because it's a sleazy selling technique, but because you've made something for somebody, it solves the problem that they have, and all they have to do is pay you money for it. That's huge, right? That's a huge service to them. Um, And so what I've done is over the years is as I roll new products out, that's how I roll new products out. I don't do any kind of, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am launch when it comes to something new. I give it to individual people who have helped shape that product first, and then I slowly iterate on it until it's to the point where I can uh, replicate that same experience for thousands of people. Um, and that's been an incredibly effective technique in my business. And it's something that my clients have used now over and over and over again as well to, again, to, again make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, something so intimate, something so unscalable actually can help you create a lot more scale uh, later on. Funny, it kind of describes uh, the process that you and I talked about when you interviewed me. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that you have have talked about uh, throughout this entire conversation uh, was this notion of idea-driven businesses and the ideas that really are kind of the ethos of uh, somebody's work. And, you know, it took me a long time to figure out what ours is, which everybody knows is the idea of unmistakable. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious, you know, one, what would you say is the defining ethos of, of your entire body of work and everything that you do? And how do people figure out what theirs is? Yeah. So first of all, everyone should go read Pam Slim's book, right? Because <laughs> that'll help. Um, so it's called Body of Work by Pam Slim. Um, but also um, the the idea behind the entire ethos, not only of my business and my brand, but of what I've always been interested in is a freedom from the institution. Okay. So I know that sounds really crazy, right? But what I mean is that I, I firmly believe one of my chief guiding principles is that we all have our own best paths to get to where we want to go. And that the best path for us is not the best path for somebody else. And that when we are intentional about making bold choices about the directions that we're going to go, the opportunities that we're going to take, the um, yeah, the, just the direction that we're going to pursue, we end up becoming more effective and compelling. And so I mentioned that this is not just my brand or my business, but this is also what I studied in, in my uh, previous life as well. So there's a, a theologian named uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote letters and uh, letters to his friends from Tegel prison um, at the end of the second world war. Um, and in them, he describes uh, religionless Christianity, which is a concept that kind of maintains the truth of Christian theology, but rejects the trappings of the institution. So all the things that you're supposed to have to do, or all the things that, um, you know, you're told you have, all the molds you're told you have to fit into, you get rid of that and you focus on what, what is, what's the actual importance of this? Um, How can I use this to not just better myself, but better the world? 
and that I find incredibly inspiring. And it's, you know, base, it's the, it's the foundation of my, my personal theology and my personal faith. Um, but it's absolutely the foundation of my, you know, my business philosophy as well. Uh, so in terms of thinking about how you find that main idea, one thing that I always recommend to people is to start with what makes you really angry, <laughs> uh, which I mentioned earlier. I think the things that make us really angry shed a lot of light on what we find most compelling, too, or the things that, that um, are the foundations of our own personal philosophies. So if, if you ask yourself, you know, when you're reading along your Facebook news feed or when you're out in the world, maybe you're, you're at the bar and you're overhearing a conversation or you're watching TV with your family or whatever it is, and something pops up and it just really gets under your skin, what are those things and why do they make you angry? The why to that question is probably the door into your personal philosophy and that thread that ties all of your work together and the answer to the question, what makes you most compelling? Um, that, yeah, finding what makes you really, really angry is, is huge. Um, on the flip side of that, of course, you can ask more positive questions. <laughs> um, like, what do you really love? Like, what do you, what do you see on TV? What do you read in your newsfeed? What do you talk to your friends about that just really makes you glow? That is also a really good, uh, indicator. And again, you have to ask the question why, because it's not just the thing on the surface. It's, it's why that's important to you. That is your big idea and your guiding philosophy. Um, and then the other thing is, um, kind of what, what goals are you most excited about for yourself and other people? And then again, ask yourself why, what kind of transformation do you want to create for yourself? What kind of transformation do you want to create for other people and why, uh, you know, in my business, I want to help people stop following cookie cutter plans. Well, cookie cutter plans are that institution thing, right? Like you think that, that there's a way that this works and that if you can only just figure out how to guide your business into the way it works, you know, scary air quotes alongside there, um, that you'll find success too. I know that's not how it works. It looks like there's, that that's what's going on, but it's absolutely not what's going on. Um, and so if, if you can find out, uh, you know, your own path, then you can be more in control. You can, uh, you know, get more of what you want out of your business and out of your life. And that all goes back again to why. Why is that important to me? Because I believe that our own paths and that being intentional about doing things our way for our own goals and for the betterment of other people as well is the key to being successful, no matter you know whether we're talking about religion or business or life or career or whatever it might be. So I hope that Oh, answers yeah. your question. Yeah, that was okay. amazing. Uh, so two last questions for you. Sure. Uh, one of the things that you've mentioned multiple times throughout our conversation is this idea of a priority driven life. In fact, it, you know, it was enough to make me think maybe that's what I'll title the interview. Uh, it, you know, how do you define a priority driven life and why are so many people unclear on what theirs looks like? <sighs> um, for me, it's about focus. And I would actually say that for me, it's more about a focus driven life. Um, because it, 
a singular focus helps you figure out what your priorities are. So what am I focused on right now? Um, in my business, I call that a, a chief initiative. So I, I have all my clients choose one chief initiative that they're allowed to work on for six to 12 months. <laughs> so in other words, it's the one goal that they're allowed to pursue for six to 12 months. Allowed is a strong word, but that's, that's, what, we, that's what we guide them towards. And then we figure out what are all the other things that you have to accomplish or achieve to make, give yourself the best shot of making that chief initiative a reality. And then you can prioritize based on those projects. It's how you, you know, stop chasing shiny objects. It's how you stop being confused about how you're going to spend your day. Because you know, if I want this thing 12 months from now, then my day has to look like this, or I have to finish this project, or I have to achieve this thing. Because if I don't, then that's, you know, one, um, you know, it's a little less likely that I'm going to get what I really want out of, out of the next six to 12 months. Um, so that's, that's how I prioritize for business. Um, and for life, it looks like ma- mainly the same thing. Um, if anything, I err on the side of focus, um, or I should say, if anything, as focused as I am creates problems um, in my life. I have a hard time not compartmentalizing the different pieces of, of my life, um, whether it's my relationship or my personal life or my um, uh, or my business. But I think I achieve more being focused and prioritizing and really knowing what I'm going toward than toward than if I didn't. Um, so yeah, so in my personal life, it's very much the same thing. You know, for this year, um, my main chief initiative personally was moving myself and my partner from the West Coast back to the East Coast, and all of the things that needed to go into that: uh, buying a house, um, you know, uh, have you know, allowing not allowing him, but helping him get through the process anyway of quitting his job, Um, you know, making sure that he felt really comfortable uh, pursuing a a career as a writer, Um, you know, visiting a lot of family, doing a lot of early, uh, not early, (laughs) last minute exploration on the West Coast. All of those things we were able to prioritize over the last six months because we were focused on this one point. And now we're kind of in the process of regrouping and figuring out what that next thing is going to be that we're working toward. Um, but that that one singular focus allowed us to actually accomplish an insane number of things <laughs> this year. Um, absolutely insane. So that's how I kind of find my personal priorities and uh, and also accomplish just a hell of a lot in any given period of time. Wow. That was awesome. So uh, this whole conversation has been amazing and thought-provoking, which I expected it would be. Well, thanks, Vinny. Uh, I have one last question, which is how we finish every interview. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to answer with the thing that I, I kind of have already said, which is I think you – I think someone who is – unmistakable is completely comfortable and in the know with what makes them most effective, most compelling, and I'd also add most unique 
What makes you unique? What makes you compelling? What makes you most effective? When you know those three things and you embody them and you integrate them into everything that you do and do so consciously, not just because it comes naturally to you, but because you are reverse engineering those things into every aspect of your life and business. I think that's what truly makes someone unmistakable. Awesome. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your journey and your insights with our listeners. This has been phenomenal. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be able to do it. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Wednesday on The Unmistakable Creative. Uh, Listen to the compliments that people give you that you dismiss, that you ignore, that you think are silly or, you know, just sort of trivial. Um, And it could be that you've heard it so many times that you think, you know, why are they telling me I do this thing well? Like, I, I know I do it well, and so what? Who cares? It's not that big of a deal. Well, that, in fact, is probably one of your superpowers because what's happening is that you're doing it reflexively well, so you overlook it. People tend to overvalue what they aren't and undervalue what they are. And so, and because this thing that you do is as natural as breathing, you can't actually even value it. It's like you can't put your finger on it. If you look at those different compliments that you get over and over again, you'll be able to start sort of classifying them and saying, oh, this must mean that I'm, you know, I'm math, you know, I'm good at math, I'm logically, mathematically intelligent, or I'm really good at music, you know, I'm able to pick up these sounds, or I'm really good at reading people. And so you'll be able to kind of look at those compliments, start to classify them in the Howard Gardner multiple intelligences sort of way and start to pick up on what your strengths are as a means of then playing to your strengths. Because I don't think that you can get to the top of your career um, or discipline if you're not actually playing to those to those unique and most innate um, strengths that you have. Tune in for our conversation with Whitney Johnson about how to disrupt yourself. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.